0: through 14, uh, the most important verses, I believe, in the book of Titus. For it says in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. And so the grace of God, it teaches us how to live a godly life. So we've been studying these last few chapters. Here's the qualifications for the leaders, for older women, older men, younger women, younger men here's what it looks like when a person's walking in the spirit living the life that pleases the Lord and the list got rather large (laughs) and it got rather convicting and it was pretty radical when you look at um, the righteous and holy life that God desires all of us to live now of course he's speaking this to the island of Crete. And there's a terminology, you Cretan. It was a way of saying you're the scum of the earth. You're a lying, lazy, no-good bum. And that's the way the Cretans believed themselves to be. And they didn't believe they could grow past that. So, you know, God's going to have to grade on this curve. You have the rest of the world and us Cretans. (laughs) And that bunch of Cretans just cannot attain to living the Christian life. It can't be done. And Paul gives this list to Titus that he gave to all believers everywhere. And of course, as the Cretans would have been hearing this, for older women to be reverent and and dignified and godly and honorable and and they're just growing deep in the Lord and are able to teach the younger women and, and so forth, it would have sort of just gotten over, more and more overwhelming to them to hear, going, oh, boy, how am I going to do all that? How can I live that kind of life? How can I live a holy, godly life like Paul is describing here in his letter to Titus? And we know this is what God is speaking to us. And he comes back and he says, for the grace of God. God's commandments will always come with God's enablements. You're to live this way. For there's a grace that God wants you to know about. It's like that story of the man with the withered hand. As Jesus was there in the tabernacle and the Pharisees were there to see if he would heal this man. And there's the man with the withered hand and Jesus says, stretch it out. Now, the guy could have said, that's a great piece of information there. You know, if I could have stretched it out, don't you think I would have done it 30 years ago? I can't stretch it out. It's withered. Okay, this is a perfect picture. Because that which the man realized is a problem, is an issue that needs to be healed, he could see it, he could identify it, it was paralyzing him from being the person that he would wanted to be because of this withered hand. But he himself could do nothing about it. But at the commandment of Jesus, that which was impossible for him became possible as he stepped out in faith in it. You said, stretch out my hand with me. That's always been impossible. But at your word, Jesus, I will do it. And he stretched out his hand, and it was made whole. And so it's the grace of God. Now, back in chapter one, we talked about the grace. Grace, mercy, and peace. And God's grace is his overwhelming, unmerited, undeserved favor he pours upon us. He blesses us in spite of us. He gives to us in spite of us. He He heals us in spite of us. He's given it to us, not because you deserve it. It's just because of who he is. He is a God of grace. Turn over to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, in verse 14. And we understand that's what God sent to the world. He sent his Son, but he sent grace in his Son. In John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. It wasn't just grace, but it was full of grace. John bore witness of him, cried out, saying, this was he of whom I said would come after me, preferred before me, for he is before me, and of his fullness... Of God's fullness, we have all received. How? Grace for grace, or grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is bosom of the Father. He has declared Him. And how did He declare Him? He declared Him one who was full of grace. Of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And we learn here in Titus that this grace of God that brought us into salvation, this grace of God that brings salvation, you guys know the verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So as a non-believer, we were like that guy with the withered hand. But at the word of God, the gospel came to us. And it said, even though you're a sinner, God loves you. Even though you're an enemy of his, he sent his son to die in your place. You weren't deserving it says in Romans five, we were weak, we were enemies of God, we just didn't care. You're on your way to hell, cool man. Go down there, that's where they're all partying. We 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 had no concern, no fear of God. But God, when we were at that darkened state, when we were in that completely spiritually dead state, God still sent His Son. God still had him die on the cross. God still had him take all your sins upon him. And the gospel came. If you will believe upon the work of Jesus Christ, that he loves you, that he died, that he rose again for you, you right now can be saved. Now, at that moment, the Holy Spirit bore witness to your spirit and said, This is truth. Believe in it. This is your Savior. And like that man with a withered hand, you stepped out and believed in this resurrected Christ. You put your faith in him. And when you put that faith in him, God unleashed his grace. Right there, you didn't deserve it, but he completely wiped all your sins away. You didn't deserve it, but he made you as righteous as he is righteous. He declared it so. All you did was stepped out in faith, believing His grace, that God loves me, that God sent His Son to die for me, that God took care of all my sin by being punished in my place. You believed it. You received it by grace. And when that grace of God appeared, again, how did it appear? That's our gospel. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, It says this, But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish the race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the, listen, gospel of the grace of God. That is the gospel. What is the good news? The good news is the grace of God. His undeserved, unmerited favor Upon our lives. In Acts chapter 20 verse 32. So now brethren. I commend you to God. And to the word of what? His grace. Which is able to build you up. And give you an inheritance. Amongst all those. Who are being sanctified. In 2nd Timothy nine, Who saved us? Who called us with this holy calling? Not according to our works. But according to his own purpose. And what? Grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So God in his nature is grace. And his grace had always existed, but there's a point when his grace appeared unto men. It appeared in Jesus Christ. And of his fullness, that fullness of grace, we all received. He lived the life of grace. He died on the cross, rose again to impart his grace to us. And it's the gospel of grace that saves us. And then it's the word of grace that builds us up. It's the word of grace that causes us to move forward. And how does it work? On all, to all men, it says there in Titus chapter 2. It's unto all men. And I've done quite a bit of extensive study in the Greek. And you know what the word all men means? All, yeah. It's not very theologically difficult. He died for every single person. The gospel, the cross, the resurrection, it's for every single person. In Romans chapter 3, verse 21, it says, But now the righteousness of God is apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. In Romans 10, verse 11 through 13, it says, For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is rich to all who call upon his name. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And of course, the real clincher is in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplication, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks, be made for all men. For kings who are all in authority and all who lead a quiet and peaceable life and godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's desire. And so we've got to understand it's God's grace it appeared we heard the gospel of grace we received the word of grace we came unto the God of grace but it doesn't end there in Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 and 7 it says this for as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in him Rooted, built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So how did you receive Christ Jesus? You received him by grace. So now how do you walk in him? Just like you received him by grace. I do find it interesting in John chapter one, it says, for of his fullness, we all received grace upon grace or grace unto grace. Grace. And it makes me wonder if it's not the grace of salvation and then the grace to continue to lean on the grace of God to live the godly life after salvation. The reason I find that interesting is in Romans chapter 1, it says that salvation's to all who believe from faith to faith. And so we have the faith to believe that God loves this big sinner We have the faith to believe in his grace to forgive us of our sin. Now we need to have the so that's the faith in the first grace. Now we need to have faith in the second grace. Faith unto faith and grace unto grace. So we have faith in the grace to be saved. Now we need to have faith in the grace to walk in this godly life. Just as we received him. It's that simple. How did you receive him? You realize I'm a sinner. There's no hope for me. God, just forgive me. I can't earn it. I can't do anything about it. I just come to you. God, help me. Cleanse this wicked heart and write my name in the book of life and, and, and give me the gift of eternal life. And we just lifted up our arms and cried out to God and God accomplished it. Just like the thief on the cross. Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come in to your kingdom. Today you'll be with me in paradise. What is that thief going to have to bragging in heaven? Oh, I prayed an awesome prayer. That's why I'm in heaven right now. You know, that guy has nothing to glory in. That guy, all he has to talk about was the grace of God. This guy had nothing but grace upon me and that's why I'm here. I believed, I realized, he's the one. It's, he is doing, he's dying in our place. And I believed, Lord, remember when you come into your kingdom. The Bible says if you believe Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. When you come into your kingdom. <laughs> he believed he'd be raised from the dead. He used the future. And he believed he had a kingdom. He was Lord. And so we gotta understand this concept. Because again, in Titus 2.12, it says this grace of God it talked about in, in verse 11, and then that grace extends over and it's saying that same grace in verse 11, it extends over that same grace is teaching us. Now, the word teaching us is, is not really probably the best translation. There's really not an English word to explain this. But we might say it's, it's tutoring us, it's encouraging us, it's directing us, it's helping us. That grace of God, the way we would say it today, is getting us there. <laughs> the grace of God is doing it. And so now I'm a Christian, one day, <laughs> I cried out, "God forgive this sinner, come into my life. I give my life to you." Now the next morning we wake up is where are we at? <laughs> we're stuck in the same place we're getting out of the same bed we have the same job we have the same vices in our flesh we've trained our body how to be ungodly and it's ready to be ungodly again same tongue same mind we have a new heart God circumcised the old flesh away and has given us a new heart so now what do I do I find the same anger because the dog chewed up my slippers again. I want to go kill it. I, the same anger is there. I got to go to the same job, and I'm upset and a little bothered about some stuff there, and it's still there. So, how do I, how do I make it? The same way, just like salvation. God, I can't get out of bed without your grace. God, I can't seek you in the Word without your help. God, I can't make it through a day without blowing it and sinning. God, I need you to get me through this day. And we cry out to God just like we did on the day we got saved. We cry out to him for his grace over and over again. In Hebrews 4, it tells us that we can come into that throne room of grace. That's what God's throne room is called. Hebrews chapter 4, a verse many of us have memorized. Verses 14 through 16 where we have a great high priest who can sympathize with all our weaknesses for he himself was tempted even as we are tempted without sin therefore come boldly that's faith where into that throne of grace to receive what grace and mercy to help us in our time of need that's that's the christian life right there we're not necessarily stronger we're not necessarily smarter We're not necessarily more godly now. What happened? We are going to heaven because of the grace of God and we put our faith in that grace. So how am I gonna live a godly life on this planet? By just like the day I got saved, relying, leaning, crying out for God to help me in his grace to get me where I need to be. And so in Titus 2.12, so this grace of God is tutoring us or getting us there and helping us to deny, denying ungodliness, worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age. And so when we look at truth, there is negative truth and there is positive truth. And they're both true. And we need them both. Okay? Okay? We don't just tell our kids to walk on the sidewalk. We tell them not to walk out in the street, right? So we're defining it and we're helping them. We tell them how to and we tell them how not to on almost everything. And so we start off with the negative truth. We need to deny this ungodliness, it says there, denying ungodliness and worldly lust. The first step that God wants to give you grace is to put your flesh to death. Interesting, the word deny here is in the aorist past tense, which is a finished past tense. In other words, he's saying the grace of God wants to teach you how to put your flesh to death once and for all. He wants you just to kill it. And the Bible teaches us that when we become Christians that we put to death our flesh and the works of the flesh that we might live under Christ. It tells us in Romans chapter 6. And this is the same word that we have to first agree. This needs to die. So if you have a drinking problem that needs to die. If you have an anger problem that needs to die. Not sort of, not a little bit, not wounded, not starve it to death as you keep it in the closet it dies. And this is where you have to first come into agreement, okay? I see what righteousness and holiness and purity is. Paul just got through explaining that the last couple of chapters. Now what? Now what? I agree with that. I need to be righteous and holy and honorable. I need to be exactly as God describes us to, to live the life. Now anything that's not that way, I need to put it to flesh. I need to put it to death. Its flesh must die. I can't give it any ability from ungodliness or any worldly lust. Do not love the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. These things are not of the Father, they're of the world, but you abide in God. And the works of the flesh, Galatians 5 again are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contingence, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like. And I tell you before, and just I told you in time past, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So first of all, we have to put to death ungodliness, things that are not like Jesus. Secondly, the worldly lusts. It's in our body. So we're having to put to flesh, put to death, what our body naturally wants to do. So we're going to have to swim upstream. We're going to have to fight against the flow. Now on the positive side of things, that we should live, the grace of God is leading us to put to death that old flesh and then helping us to live a godly life, a life like Jesus in this present age. And so if you look at it, you need to live soberly, alert, spiritually awake towards yourself, righteously towards people, and godly towards God. So if you're not right, first with yourself, then with others, and God, you're not going to be in harmony with God and man. And so first, you need to live soberly, which is awake, alert. Secondly, righteously towards people. And thirdly, godly towards our God. In this present age. Okay? Ultimately, every believer is going to be out of this body. We're going to be in our brand new body. And at that point, we will all live perfectly life in the Spirit. And so... A Christian never has the attitude, well, I'll just wait till then to live godly and now I'll just struggle. Do the best I can, but I'm gonna live a sloppy agape. I'm gonna, you know, just sort of give into my flesh and live the way I want and, you know, God's just got a grace and he'll understand it and just give me lots extra forgiveness. You know, I understand theologically people try to play those kind of games with God, but you'll always lose because the reason you're on this planet is to walk like Jesus walked. I can't do it. Of course you can't do it. That's what the grace of God is going to accomplish. Like it says at the end of 1 Corinthians, so let him who glories glory in the Lord. Because it's the truth. Yes, I used to have anger and I don't have it anymore. It's God. God just covered me with his grace and, and by his strength and, and he gave me the ability to be in the word and prayer and I've, grown in him as I'm seeking him and he just keeps showering me with his grace and I'm different my body is under control I'm saying I'm doing things that please the Lord not my flesh not myself but things that are pleasing to the Lord and it's by his grace and so in this present age the grace of God has saved us from this present world it tells us this in Galatians chapter 1 Verse 14, it says, who gave himself, Galatians 1:14, or 4 i I'm sorry, Galatians 1.4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. And also Galatians 5.24 and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So again, we are saved from the world, this present evil age, Galatians 1. And then we're saved from the worldliness of ourself <laughs> as we crucify daily the passions and desires. And to not walk as we once walked. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, it says this. For as he made him alive who was dead and trespasses his sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we also once walked, or once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. So that's the way we once walked before we were believers. And now we no longer have to be in that. God saved us from that present evil age whence we followed the path that Satan had. We followed the path that our flesh had. And it brought us into the wrath of God and it brought us into a, a life of self-destruction. We no longer have to be conformed to this world. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, I beseech you or I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. We no longer have to be conformed. The word conformed there is like when they would make a bust of somebody. They would take warm clay And they would press it upon their face. And they'd let it set there a minute. And then they would take it away very carefully. And then they would pour, once it hardened, then they would pour the the mix into that mold. And when you took that outer shell off, you had a perfect replica of that person's face. And this is what the world is trying to do to you, is to warm itself up to you, to get you to warm yourself up to it, that you would become in its image, we no longer have to be made in the image of the world any, any longer. We now have the ability to be in the image of God. And in verse 13 of Titus, it says, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is one of the greatest keys on how to live a pure life. Having the expectation of the coming of the Lord. Exciting about the coming of the Lord. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So if your eyes are on the Lord and you're asking questions about heaven, you're asking about what will our new bodies be like. You're wondering what's going to be to be like in Jesus in a place no pain, no sorrow, no suffering, no more temptation, no more fleshly lust or anger, any works of the flesh. And, and you're putting your mind on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This is a, has a wonderful purifying effect to your life right now. In 2 Timothy 4.8, Paul says, Finally then is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous, judge will give me on that day and not to me only but to all who have loved his appearing everybody who loves the idea of the lord coming back right now and is excited about the lord coming back right now and has got their focus on the lord coming back right now there's something about that that purifies us even now in Matthew 24, Jesus said, therefore be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. In Matthew 24, 45, he says, the faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season, blessed is that servant who his master when he comes will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, that he will make him ruler over all his goods. So that faithful servant who is just being faithful there, maintaining The life, looking for the appearing of the Lord, waiting with expectation for his return, wondering about heaven, putting your mind on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It's a wonderful purifying effect. And the grace of God is teaching us on the negative side to put to death once and for all the flesh and the works of the flesh. It's telling us to live soberly, righteously and godly soberly towards yourself wake up and live a christian life righteously towards other people as god lived righteously jesus lived righteously towards other godly towards god in a way that pleases him and it also teaches us to get our eyes on heaven to get our eyes on the things of above where christ is seated and that right there will be a great key in helping you purify yourself the great and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, the article the uh, clearly indicates it's a singular person. And also, the word and is not there in the Greek. It literally should read the, singular, great God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we talked about this when we were in chapter 1 verse 3 that clearly the New Testament calls Jesus Savior and the Old Testament makes it clear there's only one Savior and that's God in Isaiah 45 21 tell and bring forth your case yes let them take counsel together who has declared them from ancient time who has told it from that time have not I the Lord there is no other God besides me. A just God and a Savior, there is none besides me. So clearly our Lord, our God, the Lord our God is one Lord. But as we study through, that one God is in three persons. The first person of the Trinity, God the Father. The second person of the Trinity, And not lesser in substance but lesser in authority because he submitted unto the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ. The third person of the Trinity who submitted unto the Son and unto the Father is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come to teach us things of Christ and bring glory unto Jesus and the Father. Jesus has come to bring glory unto the Father and to explain him or to declare him. And so we see that that one Savior we have, we have one God, and that one God has sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. That one God has sent his Son who would come in the likeness of human flesh, who would be obedient to the point of death, and into the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, to the glory of God the Father, it tells us in Philippians 2, to the glory of God the Father, that every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, the grace of God also teaches us that Christ came to also give himself for us, that he might redeem us. That word redeem is to buy us out of our bondage to get us out of our slavery, to take us out of that pit, to to help us overcome all of those vices that have us trapped in a dungeon. He came to release us out of that from every lawless deed. Again, on the negative side, to get rid of all the things that, that we're giving ourselves a license to do. I mean, people know in their hearts that certain things are wrong. They know it's wrong to steal. They know it's wrong to lie. They know it's wrong to divorce, commit adultery or whatever it is. They know already. Nobody needs to tell them, we've been made in the image of God and God's spirit will check our hearts as believers. As non-believers, there's our conscience. The conscience telling them this is wrong. But what does man do? He gives himself a license. I know it's wrong to steal, but... They don't pay me what they should pay me, so this is actually evening us up. I know it's wrong to lie, but I don't have to deal with the issue because I'll just tell my neighbors what they want to hear and it'll be done with. And so we give ourselves a license, licentiousness, lawlessness, to say it's okay for me to cross that line. It's okay for me to lust or to lie or to covet or whatever it is. It's okay for me and we keep doing that and take those little baby steps until all of a sudden (laughs) we're a long ways away from a righteous life. But here he's saying as believers, we're gonna come back not only to not live a lawless life on the negative side, but on the flip side of coin, to live a pure life. For Christ has purified for himself, his own special people, zealous on fire for good works. The energy to do the Christian life comes from purity. Comes from clean hands and a pure heart. And if you don't have clean hands and a pure heart, then you'll have no gas (laughs) in your car to get that thing going. You see what I'm saying? If there is sin in your life, you will not be able to do the good works of Christianity. Whether that's reading your Bible or praying or witnessing or living for God. To some degrees we can. But to really live the godly life we'll find ourselves, you know, just puttering out, sputtering out, sputtering out until we stop. And here we are now going downhill, you know, and then we're in a, in a bad situation. And it's the purity of heart and mind and deeds that gives us the ability to be on fire for the good works, to do the, the things that God has for us to do. So he has redeemed us. Christ has set us free. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins may have may live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Christ paid the penalty of our sin that we could be free from sin, no longer in bondage to sin. That he would redeem us in Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us, translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. Christ has bought us out of our bondage. He ripped open the the gates of the jail through the blood of Christ and he brought us out of that pit and he brought us into the kingdom of the son of his love. That's the truth. And we need to let the grace of God teach us that. We need to to let the grace of God lead us out of that. It would be like this. You're, you see this eight-year-old kid who is literally living in the gutters. There's many parts of the world that's the case. And he's trying to find scraps out of the trash can. He's picking up pieces of food off the ground. His clothes are just completely, unbelievably filthy and torn and holes in them. And you take that kid and you say, look, I want to adopt you. I want you to become my child. And you are a multimillionaire. And you take that kid out of the gutter and you put the best clothes that money can buy. You give him the best haircut. You give him the best education. And you bring him into your house and you set him at this banqueting table. And you say, right here, and there's this giant turkey and ham and 10 different types of vegetables and fruits. And there's a table over here with all kinds of desserts. And as you're eating the dinner, the kid's gone. And you say, where are you? And they said, oh, he went outside. And there he is, looking around in the trash cans in the street, out in the gutter trying to pick up pieces of food. And you said, what are you doing? Well, I was hungry. It was time to eat. So I was looking for some food. It's like, didn't you see what was in front of you? <laughs> what are you doing here? But repeatedly, they kept trying to get him to sit at the table and eat the food, but repeatedly, he kept going back out into the trash cans and into the gutters, soiling those wonderful clothes, and, and you can't convince him. look. This is your home, this palace here. This is your food. Eat here. This is your new life. You no longer have to go back into the world like that. You see, that's what God has done for us. Every single person, it doesn't matter how deep into sin you were, when you are saved, God brings you up and you are a child of God. He clothes you in his perfect righteousness. He sets you in his banqueting table. He's giving you the best, his word, the best, the life of a Christian. If you had a choice to have relationship with one woman, to marry her or one man and to marry him and have a marriage for 60 years on this planet or to have a harem of 70 girls or, or whatever it would be, what would be Greatest. Look at Solomon. Read the book of Ecclesiastes when he's in his backslidden state. It tells us in Proverbs 30 there, he said it's not for princes, it's not for wise men to drink wine or any intoxicating drink. You get to Ecclesiastes and Solomon said there's only one hope for a man to make it on this earth. Get drunk and stay drunk. same guy but he's in this backslidden situation where he has 700 wives and 300 concubines and he just said it's, it's all it's all ridiculous life is a farce you build stuff for somebody else to enjoy you amass this wealth and you die and leave it to some idiot who spends it foolishly what, what good is it to go dig a hole put something in that hole I mean, he he just comes to the place where he just realizes life is completely empty, and then he comes to the final chapter. Sort of comes to his senses. He does a few times to Ecclesiastes. He finally just says, "Fear God, keep His commandments. Just do what God says." And here is a guy who was the wisest man in the world, had wealth beyond belief. You know how we have copper in our days is like a rock. If you guys see a penny on the ground. How many of you guys would lean over and pick up a penny? How many of you guys? Okay, quite a few of you guys. How many of you guys would just leave it on the ground, sit there, forget it, it's not worth my back? Okay, about a little more than half of you guys said, you know, it's not worth picking up that piece of copper. Well, in Solomon's day, silver was as rocks. So copper is as rocks in our day, but in Solomon's day, silver was as rock. You see a silver coin. How many of you guys would leave a silver coin there on the ground? Anybody? <laughs> I don't think so. But Solomon was unbelievably wealthy, his whole society was, but he was so unbelievably empty. And so as a believer, when we come to Christ, we still have full, free choice. Every day. God's grace, the same grace that I cried out and said, God, forgive me, come into my life. He did. That same grace is there every day. God, I want to beat this body into subjection and crucify it the flesh with all its passions, and desires, and live for you. By grace, it'll happen through faith in that grace. God, I want to live a life that pleases you by grace and putting faith in that grace. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. To me, that's not a put down. That's just a fact. Like water is wet. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. It's a fact. But I can do all things Through what? Christ who strengthens me. That's his grace. And it's that grace of God that wants us to understand that we are bought out of that lawless life of sinful deeds. We now can be purified daily unto himself and we can be this own special, unique people The old King James translates it peculiar people. And I like that. We're just a peculiar people, a unique people. And we are sanctified unto himself. In Exodus 19, he says it this way. In verse three through six. And Moses went up to God and to the Lord, called to him from the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. I want you to go, and I want them to know that I bore them up on we- eagle's wings and flew them to myself to the promised land. I, I want you to I want them to know they're a special treasure. I have the whole earth as mine, but they are my special treasure in this planet. To to me, they are a whole kingdom of of priest, holy people. Literally, what that's was saying there, sanctified people, set apart people, a holy nation a unique people unto myself. And Deuteronomy 14 too, For you are a holy people to the Lord, your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You say, well, that's a wonderful thing about Israel. No, guys. Everything the Bible says says to you in 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God in him are What? Yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. He's talking about you guys. Although he's speaking of Israel in the Old Testament, he's talking to all of those who are called into himself. And we are that special treasure. In First Peter 2, he picks up on this same terminology out of the Old Testament, talking about Christians. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. These are the same terms terms that we see in Exodus 19 and Deuteronomy 14. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but have now obtained mercy. And he has called us to himself that we would be a people on fire to do good works. In 1 Corinthians 5, fifteen ten, but by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Paul said the grace of God was so radical upon my life. That I was able to work more, give more, serve more, do more than anybody I've ever seen or known. Now it wasn't me. I can't take the credit. It was the grace of God just flooded upon me. And I was able to accomplish more good works than would even be thought of possible. In Galatians 5.13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, freedom, but do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. In Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should, not says we will, but that we should walk in them. We've been given freedom not to serve our flesh. We begin in freedom to serve one another. We have, God has created us and prepared us and prepared ahead of time good works that we should walk in them. It's been laid out for us. It's this wonderful plan is already there. We just now have to have clean hands, a pure heart, and let God's grace get us there, and then God's grace to just flood us through to see those wonderful things done. In Philippians 2, we're just about done here. Go ahead and turn over there to Philippians 2, if you would. Verse 12 and 13. Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, therefore, my beloved, As you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out, not work for, but work out in the state of being saved, work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to first to will and second to do of his good pleasure. We should be in awe. I'm God's special treasure. I'm his special people. I'm his pro royal priesthood, his holy nation, his special people that he's called unto himself who once were in darkness but now are in his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God. I'm somebody that God has uniquely made this poema, this work of art. He created me in Christ Jesus and he already prepared in advance good works that I should walk in them. There should be this sense of fear, not fear as in I'm afraid I'm going to get hit by that car coming. But a fear of tension. This is a radical thing. I want to make the most of it. That's the way it is with relationships. There isn't that tension there. We get sloppy. You see that, for example, in a marriage relationship. You see the guy, he starts getting sloppy and a little more sloppy and all of a sudden, you know, he's not being polite anymore hey pass us all hey give me a glass of water you know and then all of a sudden something happens and oh boy the fence is clear and all of a sudden he's being real careful real kind real nice he's walking on eggshells there and what it was is there was not the tension there saying, hey, you've got a wonderful marriage here, you have a wonderful wife, you need to be loving and kind and gentle and thankful and appreciative and helpful, all those things that you should be automatically because of the way she's being towards you and you're not being that way, so now she's offended and all of a sudden, oh man, I didn't want that. That's the fear we're talking about. That fear of offending God, that fear of hurting God, that fear of getting sloppy and not appreciating him for who he is and what he's wanting to do. And then the thought of trembling, of just, I'm a part of this radical divine plan that God prepared before the foundations of the world. And we just have that sense of awe and he is willing to help me to will. Our old sinful body just does not will enough, does it? The flesh Is willing, or my spirit's willing, but my what? Flesh is weak, and we find that. And sometimes our flesh gets so weak, it's not willing anymore. And we gotta cry out going, God, this is scaring me. (laughs) I'm not willing to read the Bible, or seek you, or witness, or to live a godly life anymore. I don't even will it anymore. Help me, God. And just like we did at salvation, we just cry out, and God's grace will flood upon our lives, and he'll help us to will, and then to do for his good pleasure. And finishing up here today in Philippians 3, we're looking at verse 12 through 15. Philippians 3, verse 12 through 15. Not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it, this to you. So this is the only mindset you should have, and uh, there really is no other mindset that we would grab a hold for what God is grabbing a hold of us for. And we'd press forward until all that God has purposed these good works for us to do, He's laid out ahead of time that we, by His grace, would accomplish it. So, the grace of God that brings salvation, it's appeared to all men. It's teaching us that to deny ungodliness, worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. Lord, we come before you tonight, God. We just need a big dose of your grace here this evening. We just ask right now, Lord, tonight, God, that you'd open the windows of heaven and just shower us with your grace and not only us here, here, but all of the body of Christ outside and all the teachers, the hundreds of teachers out there tonight and many who are, came last night on Tuesday night. A lot of them are going to home fellowships, Lord. Just the whole body, Lord. Those in the camp, those outside the camp, Lord. Just pour your spirit afresh upon us, God. Just like you did at salvation. Lord, just, we need it the second day and the third day and the 30th year. We need that same grace to make it through this day. That grace is teaching us that living a godly life is the only way to go. That grace is teaching us to get our eyes on the things above where Christ is seated. That grace of God is teaching us to to realize how awesome it is that you've made us in a unique, special way because you have a lot of works for us to do that we can never do, but your grace, all things are possible to him who believes. And We come to you tonight, Lord, and, and just ask that you'd flood us with your grace. Let's all stand up together right now.
1: In our life, Lord be glorified. Be glorified in my today in my body. In my body be glorified be glorified in my body. today. In my heart. In my heart, Lord, be glorified. Be glorified. Be glorified today in my mind. In my mind, Lord, be glorified, be glorified.
0: Now just give him your life. Lord, I surrender to you tonight. Just go ahead and just vocalize it. Just cry out to him. Lord, I give you my life tonight. Lord, I surrender my life to you, God. It's yours, oh God. Take all of me, Lord. Help us, God. Oh, Lord. Now just ask for grace. Just come bold into that throne of grace right now. God, we come into that, bowl, that throne of grace right now. Lord, we need your grace, God. Oh, shower us with your grace, Lord drench us in your grace Lord grace upon grace Lord let it be tonight Lord of your fullness we all receive here tonight Lord grace for grace oh God heal us Lord restore us God strengthen us God enable us God your commandments are your enablements Lord by your grace Lord we can do all things through you who strengthens us God strengthen us tonight Lord in Jesus precious name And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. Give at least five giant bear hugs and tell them the Lord loves their face. And then you can go.